Good morning. Welcome. Nice to see you. Nice to be home. Good to see you. Nice to have everyone worshiping with us online as well. I wonder, as you, as you heard these readings from Isaiah and Matthew, if you can feel just a little twinge of hunger as you're, you know, we, uh, Matthew uh, or Isaiah cries out almost like a dinner invitation, right? Come and eat. Uh, eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. And in Matthew's gospel, we have the famous feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves of bread and the fish. You might be thinking, gosh, how soon can we get to communion? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, brunch, maybe. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, aside from the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded by all four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and, and so, therefore, we know that in the hearts and the minds of the earliest Christians, the feeding of the 5,000 was a very significant miracle. Uh, it was a miracle that with every retelling testified to them who Jesus was and why he came and what he taught. If frequency within the Gospels is any indication, then this miracle's impact on the faith of the early Christians would have stood even above such wonders as raising Lazarus from the dead, or turning water into wine, or calming the storm. Not that the miracle itself was, was somehow more miraculous, but the impact that it had on those earliest Christians. It was more near and dear more um, faith-giving. And so we can trust that this miracle should have the same transforming impact upon us and our faith in the Lord Jesus as it did on those early Christians. But we can hear it sometimes. I mean, it's so familiar to us that sometimes we, we just kind of skate past it. Oh, the feeding of the 5,000. What, what does this miracle actually have to offer to us? And to answer that, I want to focus on two statements. Matthew records Jesus saying two things in this passage. And I want to suggest that they tell us that through Jesus Christ, we are filled and we are fulfilled. We are filled and we are fulfilled. So the crowds find Jesus. Uh, they find him near the shore on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're just a couple of miles west of Capernaum, which is where Jesus was living, a little, little fishing village. And he was trying to get some alone time. He was. he was. He had heard about the death of his cousin, his forerunner, John the Baptist, and, and um, wanted to get some alone time because not only was he, I'm sure he's sad about the death of his cousin, but, but this meant now that his his ministry was about to take off, hurtling towards the cross. And so Jesus wants some alone time, but they find him, this huge crowd, this huge crowd that probably grows throughout the day, and it says that Jesus has compassion on them. And in that compassion, he stayed with them, he taught them, he healed their sick. We don't want to lose that detail that Jesus had compassion on them because this is the disposition of God towards you and me. He is full 
of compassion. He knows your struggles. He knows your needs and your fears. He knows your gifts and your triumphs. He knows your sins. And He loves you. He is for you. Compassion is the posture of God towards you. Not frustration. Not irritation. Not exasperation. Compassion. He is for you. This is the posture of God towards you. Compassion is the context for His death and resurrection for us. His compassion is the context for the blessings and the joys that He gives to us. His compassion is the context for the redemption of our sorrows that He gives to us. And His compassion is the context for the filling and the fulfilling that He gives to us. He is for you. And He is for this crowd. But at the end of the day, Jesus has a huge mob of people who are getting tired and hungry. And I don't know about you, but tired and hungry, that's not a good combination for me. And you want to multiply that by 5,000 men and women and children aside, and you know why the disciples said, Jesus, let's let these nice people go on home. But Jesus says, no, you, you give them something to eat. He's inviting the disciples to have the same compassion for the crowd that he has. But the disciples are dumbfounded and they are astonished at this command, you give them something to eat. They feel utterly incompetent and unequipped to do what the Lord has called them to do. You ever feel like that? The Lord's called you something to do, but you don't feel like you got the tools. The disciples don't know what they're going to do, but then Jesus says, just bring me what you've got. Just bring me what you've got. And we're going to come back to his first statement, you give them something to eat, but let's camp for a minute on bring me what you've got. Bring them here to me, I think is what it says in your bulletin. Bring me what you've got. It's a very Eucharistic feel to it, isn't it? He, he takes this very insufficient amount of bread and fish. He looks up, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it away. And there's more than enough. There's more than enough for everyone, including... Presumably, the disciples. The disciples got to eat too that day. Jesus is not concerned with the quantity that they have to offer. And He is not concerned with the quality of what they have to offer. He's simply concerned with possessing all that they have to offer. And Jesus does not say, well, you don't have enough, so we'll just go out and do your best. I mean, thank goodness, their best wouldn't have given everybody there even a bite of what they had to, to offer, let alone a meal. And he also doesn't say, well, gosh, you know, I've got an idea, but you better hold some back in case it doesn't work. Right? Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he says, first, bring me everything you've got. 
Bring me what you've got. And friends, this is where our salvation starts. This is where salvation starts. Bring it all to Jesus. Not do your best. Not do a little, hard, do a little better. Not be a good citizen. I mean, all those things are important, but they are not the gospel. Bring Jesus everything you've got. Bring it all to Jesus. Bring your sins. Bring your shortcomings and your failures and your darkest secrets. Bring your triumphs and your talents. Bring the accomplishments that you think define you. Bring your inadequacies, your quirks, your soapboxes, your fears, and your deep disappointments. Put your whole self in His hands. And we can do that. I mean, that's a vulnerable position. To put your whole self in His hands. But we can do it because remember, He is a God of compassion. He is for us. And so put your whole self in His hands and He will bless you and He will break you. And you will be full in a way that you never thought possible. Full of joy, full of hope, sometimes full of sorrow. But always full of the knowledge that in the hands of Jesus we are more than enough because He is more than enough. Now, I mean, He's the real bread, isn't He? He's the, he's the bread, the living bread that never runs out. He's the living bread that satisfies and satiates our deepest hunger. Isaiah, in our Isaiah reading, he implores, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, he says, listen, eat what is good. Delight yourselves in the rich food. Jesus is the rich food. Jesus says elsewhere, I am the bread of life. He's the rich food. In Christ, we are more than enough because he is more than enough. In Christ, we are filled. Just bring me what you've got, Jesus says. Now remember, he also says, you give them something to eat. But it's only after, that they, it's only after they've brought Jesus everything they've got that they can now do what he has called them to do. Now they can. Give them something to eat. Now they can participate in Jesus' compassion for the crowd. When we were in Israel in early March, we went to the Church of the Multiplication, the Church of the Loaves and the Fishes. And, um, and it's very stark. It's like a, a cinder block church almost. It's surprisingly uh, stark. It's not ornate at all. And, but under the altar, right in front of the altar, a famous mosaic, ancient mosaic. But under the altar is the rock that Jesus is said to have placed the baskets of food on. And y'all, it's like, it's like this big. I mean, it's not, it's not that big. So there must have been this moment... That, that, I mean, it wasn't like Jesus said the blessing and poof, there was, you know, tables and tables of bread everywhere. I mean, there was this, there was just the baskets of, of bread that, and the loaves that they had offered and the fish. And so there's this moment 
where the disciples had to take, their backs are turned to the, to the, um, to the crowd, and they have to take the, the basket, the insufficient amount from Jesus, and, and, and they're going to have to turn around. And they've got to face the crowd. And they're going to have to walk forward in faith. And they're probably a, a little embarrassed. They take a big gulp. They're unsure of themselves and of the task at hand. But they step forward. Jesus knows, right? Jesus, Jesus wasn't worried. But it's only after they begin to give out the bread and the fish that the disciples begin to realize the miracle that they're in the midst of. It's only after they began to serve that they could see that Jesus was making what they had to offer to be more than enough. Some of you know that feeling of turning, taking the basket, the gulp, the fear. Is this going to happen? Is Jesus going to make this enough? And then that thrill of seeing Jesus show up and bless. Some of you, some of you hadn't quite made the turn yet. Not quite ready to take hold of the basket that Jesus is trying to put in your hands. It's hard, it's scary, it's certainly uncomfortable, it seems improbable or silly. There's a guy that I listen to, he's a lawyer, but um, he, uh, uh, he does a lot of leadership stuff. His name is Dave Redding, and and he talks about the sur-sur continuum, S-U-R-S-E-R, the sur-sur continuum, and the S-U-R is survivor. And on this end, the survivor is is totally absorbed with himself. He's too busy uh, trying to just get to the end of the day and and to worry about anybody or anything else. He's just absorbed with himself. Maybe he's drowning. We've all been there. We just can't get our head above water. Maybe he's just self-absorbed. We've probably all been there too, right? So there's the survivor. In the middle is what he calls the sad clown. And the sad clown is, you can imagine this this image that happy on the outside but dying on the inside. We've probably been there too, right? And the sad clown, he says, is is just so concerned with the balance of what he has to give and what he has to take. And he's always trying to think, uh, he's always daydreaming about a, a better spot. I'd probably, ideally, a place where he can only take. He's finally reached the top of the mountain. But on the S-E-R end is the servant. And the servant, only the servant, has the capacity to transcend his or her own material and spiritual needs in order to seek the advantage of others. They have purpose. They have purpose because they are fulfilled by the work that they have been given to do. How can they do that? How can they give of themselves like that? It's because they're in the hands of their compassionate Savior. And they know that He's not going to let them go. So I have to ask, where do you resonate? Are you more of a survivor or a sad clown or a servant? Now, before you sort of say, well, I'm going to buckle down this week and I'm, I'm going to be a servant, we've got to remember the order of things because you've first got to bring Jesus everything that you've got. Jesus is the one who makes the servants. Jesus is the one who takes the five loaves and the two fish from the survivors and the sad clowns and makes us servants of Jesus. 
He takes the little we have to offer and makes it more than enough. It's not our efforts at goodness. It's, it's, it's the fruit of His work in our lives that makes us servants of Jesus. It's we love Him because He first loved us. We serve Him because He first served us. So when I ask, are you a servant on this sir-sir continuum? I mean, are you full first? Are you, before you're fulfilled with His purpose for you, have you brought to Him everything you've got? Are you resting in His hands? Are you fulfilled and filled by His grace uh, to the point where in His strength, And for His glory, you can make the turn. That you can take hold of the basket and walk forward in faith. That you can give them something to eat. In whatever form that takes for you. Let's just finish with a prayer. God, we thank You. We thank You that You are with us and that I mean, sometimes, Lord, we have a, have a hard time taking the cap off for you to fill, fill the tank. We just pray, God, that you would abide with us, that you would pour into us, that we would make ourselves available to you so that you can fill us, so that we can participate in your love for the world. We pray, God, that you would make us instruments of your peace. Help us to be your servants and to offer everything we've got. To you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.